We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 down to 9, but let's read verse 8 because he's starting off talking about deacons. Deacons likewise, like the elders, the overseer teachers, they must be men of uh, dignity, respectable, not double-tongued, uh, double-minded, uh, not sound. They're not to be addicted to wine or fond of money. Well, this applies to all Christians, but if you're going to try to teach other Christians publicly, everybody's going to be watching you, so you're going to have more of a microscope watching you. But number nine, but they must be holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You don't hear much about the clear conscience, but the Christian is to maintain a clear conscience at whatever level he's at. Does it matter what he knows about Scripture? Does it matter what experiences he had with the Lord? His conscience is enlightened by the Word of God. And until it has certain knowledge from the Lord and His Spirit, it's a basic tool to tell us right from wrong. But it can be perverted, it can be hardened, it can be misguided. So at the lower levels, People are basically to obey their conscience if they don't know what to do. And even if they're wrong, God honors it. But if they presume on God and presume to do something when they're not sure about it, it's already sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So we see that with Paul dealing with the weaker Christians that wouldn't eat certain foods. They were coming over Jews into the Gentile church, basically, and they were still under the, all the rituals and laws, and they had a hard time uh, let go of these things. So he said, accept them and not to provoke them. We have our own liberty, but he said not to purposely offend these people, and you don't talk them into doing something. If they can't really see it, they should stay at the level they are because you're causing them to sin. Even though what you tell them is the truth, their conscience is not clear. And so the Holy Spirit wants to enlighten the conscience. And this is the part of being spiritually mature. In Hebrew says, when you get out of the baby state and to become mature, you're able to discern between good and evil. Your conscience is mature enough that it can listen to the Spirit and get instructions at times when the mind will have conflict with it. It will warn. It will give us things in the spiritual realm. And so a sign of being mature, and before you should have any ministry, you need to discern between good and evil. So there's things that in themselves are pure and nothing wrong with them, but people misuse and misapply, and that makes it sin. Uh, so the baby Christian and the novice isn't at that level where they can clearly listen to the Spirit, and they are to study the Word and have the Word in them, and then the Holy Spirit can bring it uh, to remembrance when the person's ready. And so we must maintain a clear conscience People who've had a clear conscience and are deeply spiritual, when they stop following their conscience and they fall into sin, they can still teach the Word and they can understand it to a degree. 
but they're on their way to hell. It's like I've said before, I've known teachers that were very wonderful teachers, and everything they taught was sound doctrine. And then you find out they've been living in adultery for three years. Well, people will learn from their teaching, and they can get revelation because God honors his word. Often, even Paul, there seemed to be Christians or some false Christians, and they were stirring up trouble for Paul, but they preached the gospel. And Paul said, nevertheless, I rejoice that the gospel's preached. So if it was the truth, he didn't care too much about their motive. Their motive was jealousy and greed, and they didn't like Paul. But they taught the gospel, and Paul was glad that was being done, okay? So a lot of people are going to be doing a lot of things, and if they make it to heaven, they go find out they lost a lot of rewards, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The more popular a person is, probably the less spiritual he is, because the world is of the devil, the world of flesh. And if something's that popular, it must not be spiritual if you look at it. So compromisers and these mega churches, they're not sound in the faith. And most of them are not going to make it into the kingdom because they're not preaching the truth or teaching. Or if they are, they're mixing other things with it. And so heresy is when you add and take from the spirit of the word. And heresy is false teaching. And I don't see any scripture in the New Testament where God is going to condone a false teacher. I don't see any scripture that basically speaks of any of them coming back to the Lord. It don't mean they can't. It means it must be harder. The further a person tries to teach the word and is teaching lies and heresy, he is going to be hardened and the Spirit's going to take it more seriously. Like James says, they're going to receive the stricter judgment. And God can harden them because of the damage that they're doing to other Christians. So verse 9, not only of eight, they're not being given to wine. It didn't say they couldn't drink it. It means fond. It means they're overdoing it. It's not in moderation anymore. They're relying on feelings and what the alcohol does. Instead of making them feel a little good, it goes into a buzzing state, and they're controlled by it. And the scripture says no drunkard shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't call him an alcoholic. It calls him a drunkard. Now, all the doctors want to say it's a disease, and well, it may be, but it didn't start off that way. Syphilis and gonorrhea and all those things didn't start off. It started off by being people being promiscuous with various people, and their bodies picked things up. Then it becomes a bodily ailment. And so sin can destroy the body at various ways and levels. So an alcoholic is a drunkard. If he's not reforming, if he's not bringing it under, and he dies in that state, no matter what he knows, he's not going to make it into the kingdom. He's letting drugs and things control him rather than the Spirit of God. So that's why Paul said, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So if people were seeking a closer walk with the Lord, they wouldn't need to be drinking a lot of wine for feelings and to escape the world. 
to be able to face these things and deal with them. But most people drink and they drink hard liquors to forget. And the world has damaged it. Natural things through fruits and things can turn into alcohol. And in every society, they've had forms of wine and they drank it. But many of them, it did not possess them or control them. But hard liquor and 200 proof, these are perversions of what God made. Nature does not produce something like that. But man does to mix it and control the body and the mind further. So again, it's a perversion of the drinking of wine, which is okay if a person doesn't get drunk, okay, or it doesn't control him. And he can't be given over to greed, materialism, and covetousness because it means he's tied to the world and he's not content with where the Lord has placed him. And Paul said godliness with contentment is a great gain. So the seven or eight times that Paul does teachings on money and stuff, never once does he encourage Christians having a lot of money or being rich. But he does state, if you're rich, be rich in good works. That it's not for yourself. It's not to squander on luxury. It's for the body of Christ or to help people's needs. And when people give and the Lord's Paul said, God can grace you and return these monies, and they stop right there. But the next verse says, for liberality, for the work of the ministry, doesn't talk about the self-life. So all of these materialistic prosperity people are on their way to hell because they love money and the power of money. And many of them claim them to be Christians, and they die with millions of dollars because their security was in that. They didn't give it to the Lord. They got to be more secure, and they like the power of money. And Paul said, you that would be rich fall into many hurtful lusts. It gives you the means to sin greater in different areas that if you didn't have that money, you wouldn't be pursuing that. And he said, that destroys men in hell. So that's the warning he gave. And then he said, and if you are rich, he said, be rich in good works and lay down a foundation before the Lord. If you read the whole context, it means if you're rich and you don't use your money properly, you will not have eternal life. If you're not building on spiritual works, you're greedy, covetous, you trust in riches instead of the Lord. And people try everything to get around that, but Scripture is very plain. So to be content with our lot, And if the Lord doesn't change it, we have to adjust to it. If we pray and certain things we want and it don't come about, we don't get obsessed with it. We don't make it the project, the foundation. As Colossians said, if we're risen with Christ, then set your mind on heavenly things and not of the things of the earth. So prosperity people abound to materialism and money and living well in this life. And they think it's compatible with being spiritual. It's not. It's going to send them to hell. Okay? So number nine, they're to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So deacons must do this. They must have faith in Christianity, and their conscience must be okay. They cannot be doing deacons' works and being overseers if their conscience is wrong with the Lord. 
John said, if a heart does not condemn us, that's our conscience. He said, then we know, that's faith. We know that we have the petitions we ask of him. But if our heart condemns us, he said, God is greater. What do you think he sees? And it says he answers their prayer because they do those things that please him. They keep his commandment. Well, if you don't do that, your conscience is going to smite you. And you have no business with a bad conscience asking God anything but forgiveness of sin. Your prayers are wasted. The same as if they're wasted, if you do not forgive a true Christian when he's repentant and you refuse, and then the Lord says your prayers will not be answered and he will hold you in judgment. So he requires certain things. And that's why I said, you pull the log out of your own eye before you go speculating little splinters and things and people that offend. James says, and many things we offend all. Well, a lot of the offenses are silly and stupid and petty, and Christians shouldn't even be bothered with it. But if it's something important that affects people and bothers, then it should be dealt with. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. He didn't say go talk to other Christians about it and slander the person and gossip because you end up worse than that person as far as God is concerned. He said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he asks forgiveness, forgive him. You do not have to forgive him if he does not repent. You leave that to God because God isn't forgiving him until he deals with it properly. Even Jesus said in the extreme cases, he said, if they won't make it right with you, you take witnesses with you, one or two. And if he still don't want to get right and he's still spiteful and don't want to deal with you, he said, take the church members and then you cast that person out and have nothing to do with him because God doesn't have nothing to do with him. God considers him wicked because he's full of spite and hate. John says, a murderer, that's a person who hates his brother also. And John said, and you know that a murderer does not have eternal life in him. So he does away with all of this nonsense of once saved, always saved, and I'm secure by grace. If you don't do these things, you're not secure, and your faith and grace is dead. It's vain, okay? So to be pleasing and get the prayers answered that God wants instead of your selfish nature, your conscience must be clear before the Lord. So Christ, what you must teach to deacons, must know the mysteries of Christianity, the foundations. They must teach and know about Christ's sacrifice, his suffering, his ascension on high, and have the clear conscience. But at the times here and later, they began to deal with the Nicolaitans of Revelation, and they were like the once saved, always saved people today. They were teaching Christians, you do not have to keep the moral law. What you do with your soul and body doesn't matter because you're spiritually saved and you can't be unsaved. That's just a perfect example of eternal security. And I've heard people tell me that, well, your spirit don't sin and, and you just lose rewards. No, you're going to lose your eternal destiny and go to hell See, because it ain't working. It's a false form of Christianity. Uh -huh. It does not produce fruit, spiritual works, or obedience. Therefore, it's false, and it's false Christianity. Okay, And men have a choice of who they want to yield to. It's not irresistible grace. 
you either obey and follow the Lord and you keep following him or the branch will be cut off and cast aside and be burned. So that's scripture, okay? So people don't like hearing that. But the Christian, we basically keep the moral law. We don't have a license to sin as the one saved, always saved people think. We don't have a license to sin like Calvinism teaches basically. Uh-uh, that's false grace. So Christians, what we're delivered from, and the Gentiles entered into it quickly, we're delivered from the ceremonial law of Moses, the rituals, the sacrifice, the rules and regulations that was a schoolmaster and a teacher. But as far as the moral laws, even the Ten Commandments, the nine of them, that are the do nots, you don't do this, you you still can't do it as a Christian. You can't lie, you can't murder, you can't commit. If you do those, and like Paul said, you practice these things, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. So these things are included in the law of Christ. These are moral laws of the conscience. And we're only delivered from the rules and the earthly regulations and that kept them busy because they didn't have Christ in them God gave them a lot of things to keep them occupied and to teach them about what was going to happen when Christ came. So even, as we've said before, even the keeping of the Sabbath, a lot of Christians think it's Sunday. It's not. Paul said, when you gather together on the first day of the week, take your collection. He never gave a command you have to meet on the first. They did that. They recognized that when Christ was resurrected. But there is no word from Paul or anybody that says you have to meet on the first day of the week. We're not bound. And we'll get into later. He says, I'm afraid of you because you, the Galatians, you observe days and months and Sabbaths. And he was saying, I'm afraid of you. You're going back under the law. You've been delivered from these things. Okay? So the keeping of the Sabbath for the Christian is a spiritual Sabbath, okay? It's never commanded for the Christian. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. There remains, therefore, a rest or a Sabbath for the people of God. That's the Christian. For he who has entered his Sabbath, his rest, it's spiritual, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So when a person's in the spirit and Christ is in him, he's in a different realm. He's not doing his labors, the works of the law, rituals. He's not a self-righteous Pharisee. He's not easing his conscience by still doing evil, but think he'll do a little good. That's all earthly and worthless. Uh He's saying it's spiritual. We enter in. So if you're a true Christian, you are living in the Sabbath. Every day is the Sabbath to you. You cannot live any different than another day. One day is no more important, and you have all the false religions that came, most of them through Catholicism and liberal Christianity, and they have these, they have all these celebrations of Lent and Monty The Catholic Church lets the people enjoy themselves and send all they want, and then they have to mourn for This is all teachings of the devil. Has nothing to do. God never licenses a person to sin. He never gives them an indulgence like the Pope did. If you gave certain money back then, and to a certain degree now, then you got a ticket to go sin and enjoy yourself. 
That's a teaching of the devil. It's nowhere in scripture. Uh, so people that think they're going to have an excuse on a special day to live it up, they're deceiving themselves because God might decide to cut them off during that time to prove to other people they're not his. Okay, so we keep the moral law. We keep it. It's spiritual. It's under the law of Christ. Every day is a Sabbath to us. Every day is a Sunday, if you will. So we can work on Sunday. If we can't do something, the higher law of love supersedes the rules and regulations. Jesus let his disciples go to the fields and eat corn and pick corn. And the Pharisees said they were sinning. They were working. But he, he mentioned David when David was fleeing from King Saul and came upon the high priest and his family. He asked for bread to eat. And the high priest said, the only bread we have is holy bread, which was only for the priestly family. But he said to David and his soldiers, have y'all kept yourselves from women? You're not been immoral. You're not been, amen, are you living a pure life now? And David said, yeah. So he gave it to him. And Jesus condoned that. The higher law of love superseded these things. The Pharisee, you're not supposed to pull a, a donkey out of the ditch on the Sabbath. And Jesus called them hypocrites and said, if it was your donkey, you'd be pulling them out. But you tell everybody else, you make all these rules and burdens that you don't help them and you don't keep yourself. That's why I called them hypocrites. So he said, it's lawful to do good. So the higher law of love supersedes the lower law, the, the Mosaic law. It went beyond that. See, it's the spirit that God is looking at, the motive, the intent, and not just what's out. Solomon expanded the sacrifice in the sanctuary so that the Levites could help sacrifice. They never did that before. They were not appointed. And yet Solomon, being inspired by the Lord, gave them permission, and they did what was not normally done. And when they did the sacrifices, the Shekinah glory came down and filled the temple. That shows you God approved. But after this was over, they went back to the system, only the priests and them could do sacrifices. So there is exceptions, but it has to be the higher law, the spiritual law, to go against these things. So we see that we have entered a spiritual rest. We're living a Sabbath if we're really born again, and if we're following the Lord, walking in the Spirit, our works our works of the Lord. We're not doing, see, we cease from our own works. Our own human efforts in themselves produce nothing. Our good works, Catholic works, rituals, rules, they don't produce nothing. It's only as we yield to the spirit and yield to the vine does the branch bear anything spiritual. They have to walk with the vine and yield to him. Because Christ does not produce fruit without the branch. There is no fruit until the branch and the vine are united. Then we share in the labors of the Lord. We work in the Lord's will and are guided by his spirit. So we're living under a spiritual Sabbath. We're not bound to days and months. Yet the Jews during James' time and priests that came to the Lord, they were still observing the law 
And James sort of bragged to Paul, we have many priests and they are zealous of the law. But they did it as a witness to the Jews. They didn't think their salvation was tied up in it. They were trying to be witnesses and a light and they still worshiped at the temple. Uh But even James told Paul and them, no, we can't put this on the Gentiles. Peter says, our fathers couldn't bear all of that. So we can't put this on them. They're free from all of these things. But like Paul said, if I'm going to deal with the Jew, I'll become a Jew. I'll use my liberty or I will suspend it to be a witness and be able to get into conversations to enlighten them. He says, I become all things to all men. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He said, if you're around weaker Christians like the Jewish Christians that would not eat certain foods, Paul basically said they're weak, but he said, don't don't force it on them. And you don't eat a ham sandwich in front of them when you're trying to talk about the Lord. But he said, in your private, you have liberty. And your liberty does not have to be judged. You understand the truth. But love, again, will give way for the weaker Christian and help them rather than try to offend them and stir them up when their conscience is not clear about these things. So Paul was very clear on that subject, okay? So the Jew as Christian had a hard time in the beginning. They lived their whole life. And even Peter, remember, after several years, the Lord appeared to him in a vision and told him to eat these unclean animals. And Peter must have been a good Jew. He said, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, now you can So what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. He was saying, now you can go to the Gentiles. See, because the Jew, even during that time, they weren't supposed to go into a Gentile's house and eat with them. They didn't do that. So it took them six or seven years before they realized that the gospel was not just for the Jews. And so that's why he had keys of the kingdom. Peter was the first at Pentecost, to preach the gospel to the Jews. And then he was the first to preach to the Gentiles through Cornelius. And so that's why he was given the kingdom. He was the first to open the door. Talk nothing about popery or being the head. James was not even one of the 12 apostles. And Peter was rather fearful of him. And Peter gave reports to him when he did something strange. He didn't consider himself a pope. When he explained to James in a letter what he had done and why he went to the Gentiles, then he's very clever. He said, and God poured out the Spirit, and they spoke in tongues like we do. And he sort of says, so what was I to do? He was letting James know, you can't fault me. So he had a high regard for James's opinion. And James was an administrator. James, the Lord appeared to James between the resurrection and the ascension and obviously called James. Paul is the only one that clearly comes out and infers that James is an apostle. He didn't mean a 12. And James basically validates Paul's ministry as being an apostle to the Gentiles. So you don't see no conflict between them. They understood their positions. The Lord was doing different works at that time to uh, mature them and bring them together. So when Noah came out of the ark, 
it's implied that they ate vegetables and fruits only, but when he came out and made sacrifices of the animals, then the Lord said, everything that moves on the earth is food for you, like the plant life was. He sanctified it. And then years later, when the law came about, he restricted them again to teach them various principles. Then it was wrong for a Jew to eat certain things. And now that Christianity has come, the Christian is free to eat anything. If he prays over it and gives thanks for it, it's set apart. Uh huh. only thing a Christian cannot eat is human flesh. And a lot of, some Christians still do it, but scripture is plain. He's not to be eating blood of animals or anybody. So blood sausage and certain things with blood in it Meat has certain things, but it's really not the blood juices. So that's why when they slayed an animal, they bled it out so they would not be eating the blood. And so a Christian should not drink or eat any form of blood and definitely cannot eat human flesh. But anything else, if he prays over and gives thanks, he can he can eat it. And so we have been freed, and that's the liberty the Gentiles were given and the Jews were having a hard time coming over to that. Their conscience would still bother them a little bit. And so Paul said, well, until they see the truth and the Spirit opens their understanding, they shouldn't do it. They should not presume if their conscience bothers them. The conscience must be enlightened. It must be shown things. Remember, the conscience can be seared. The conscience can be misguided. It's at various level. The conscience is in the human spirit. It's the inner law that God's put in a man. But it can be perverted. Hebrews talks about their conscience being seared with a hot iron, being past feeling. They come under conviction and finally sin don't bother them no more. And they get in a hard place where the Holy Spirit can't save them because The Holy Spirit's conviction deals with the conscience. And only when people are convicted of sin and repent and confess the Lord can they be saved. So if they are a psychopath or there's someone with no conscience, then they're in a bad situation. They've hardened themselves to the degree not only does their conscience get weakened, then God sometimes stops dealing with them. He looks at the overall motive, and if he does deal with them, it's a severe judgment first, and then perhaps he'll rip that callus off and see if they're ready to come to him, and if not, they fall under greater spiritual judgment, okay? So we're not to tell people to go against their conscience. If the Lord tells someone you're not to watch television, you don't tell him he can watch it. I've been through this the 55 years I've followed the Lord. I've gotten rid of three televisions because each time I couldn't control it and the Lord said, get rid of it. So it was sent for me to have a television. Then I came to the place I could handle certain things and so he allowed me to get another one. But if you can't control that knob and you can't control what you're watching, then the commandment of the Spirit may be stop it. He don't allow some Christians to be around drink because they were once alcoholics and they're still tempted greatly. And yet others can drink wine and it doesn't bother them. So we have liberty in certain things and other things, the Spirit says you don't do this. 
So disobeying the Spirit's personal guidance is sin. All things are pure that we deal with. It's what we do with them, how we use them or misuse them that makes it sin. Okay? So presumption. Presumption says, which the devil tried to get Jesus to do on the, on the temptation, jump off of the cliff here, and he quotes a beautiful scripture, God will give his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against the stone. The only problem with that temptation was, and it was real to Jesus, if he had jumped off, he would have proven to other people he was the son of God. He took him and wanted him to jump off the temple and, and land in the temple court. And if all the people seen that, they would have recognized him as the Messiah. It was sort of a shortcut. But the Lord didn't give him no command. And you hear people say, well, I'm going to step out by faith. Well, a lot of that is nothing but presumption. They're playing a guessing game. They don't know if it's the Lord or not. They think it's blind faith. That ain't faith in Scripture. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. Now, if the Father had told Jesus, you jump, then the angels would have kept him and he wouldn't hurt him. But the Father didn't tell him to do it. So that's why he wouldn't do it. And when he was starving to death after 40 days of fasting, the devil was very clever. If you're the son of God, he knew he was the son of God. He said, you command these stones that were round, most of the stones, to be bread. And Jesus is hungry and starving. And he knew he could do this, but he would have to disobey the Father. He must have got a word from the Lord, you fast until I tell you to stop. He may not have known that it was going to be just 40 days. It may have been 50 days. He may have thought in himself, Jesus, Father's going to let me starve to death, but he's going to raise me from the dead. And that was the faith of Abraham. He knew if he sacrificed Isaac because of the word of the Lord, he couldn't figure it out, but he received him from the ashes. He said to himself, I so believe what God's going to do, I'll kill him if God tells me to. But God has promised all of these promises through him, so he'll have to raise him from the dead. And so Jesus may have been in the same situation. He may have been thinking, I'm going to starve to death, but the Lord said not eat, so I will not eat. So he overcame that one too. So the temptations of Jesus were real, and the devil knew it, and the devil knew which ones to use. He didn't leave a normal demon to test Jesus. He was the master of lies and deception. He took that upon himself, okay? So again, we are not to go against our conscience. The conscience is enlightened by the word of God and his spirit enlightening us. And we must obey it at whatever level it is. Whatever is not of faith, a clear conscience and assurance is sin. And you can do something and it be right, but because you don't really know, you're taking a chance and God don't expect that. If you're not sure about something, you don't do it. You don't play a guessing game because you might guess right, but you've entered into sin because there's no faith there. You've presumed on the Lord, and that's a sin in itself, okay? So maturity to the conscience is to know right and wrong. So Hebrews said, you, you have need of milk again. You've gone back, your baby. He said, because the mature person, he said, their conscience 
is trained to discern between good and evil. A baby Christian, a novice, has not got to that level. There's just plain things, but he doesn't know how to be clearly led of the Spirit personally. So he studies the Word to be enlightened, and then the Holy Spirit brings things to his memory. So only the spiritual Christian can be led of the Spirit, and he can only be punished and judged and be responsible. So when the prophet spoke under inspiration, the others judged it, evaluated, did something he said was wrong. They expected that. They didn't say you just believe him because he's a prophet. They knew humans are subject to failure, even the best of us. But they didn't continue being a false prophet if they said something wrong, and they dealt with it uh, properly. Let's take a break here.